What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. What does it take to build and lead your organization the right way? Just not build and lead it, but lead it the right way and leave it the right way. That's what we're going to talk about in this episode of Lynch with a Leader. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, is we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the spaces and places that God has put us. Thanks for joining me today, episode 190, as we are all on this leadership journey trying to be that leader that God created us to be, and you are in for just a fun, fun time meeting a new friend Dan O'Dowd, who unpacks his journey. And we're going to talk about that here in just a second. I, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who leave ratings and reviews. It really does mean the world. We had this just left from Steve King, who's an old friend. He said, the answer is yes. Um, Moving out of the Atlanta area, my family and I were members and volunteers at North Star, the church where Mike pastors. Also had the opportunity to serve alongside Mike in a parallel role in high school athletics at the local high school. Mike's compassion and love for leaders in the community is as genuine as it seems in the podcast. I lead a multi-state business myself and look forward to these conversations on a weekly basis. And also the gentle reminders that we sometimes need in order to live our lives and businesses in the proper perspective. Leading with your faith out in front is not always easy, but it's always worth it. Keep up the good work, Mike. You're making a positive impact. Thank you, Steve, for leaving that. That means the world. Steve's one of the real deals that's out there. We sure miss he and his family who now live in another part of the United States from Atlanta. But, man, always, always close by. And uh, thank you so much. And I know a lot of you, you're like Steve. You're, you are trying to make that difference. You are trying to live with your faith out in front. Well, today we sit down with Dan O'Dowd, MLB executive for years, longtime general manager, front office. Now he's a TV analyst on the MLB network. He's the founder and chairman of a, a virtual company, hitting company that he began called Win Reality. And you're going to hear Dan unpack this journey to the top of the leadership platform in a lot of ways as he was general manager of a major league organization. But even more, you'll hear his faith story, the story of who Jesus is to him and how real this is. So I don't know if you're watching on YouTube, if you are watching on um the channel that we put out on Facebook or you're listening on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you're listening from, you're in for a really, really good one today that you can put some nuts and bolts to your own journey. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen to episode 190 with my new friend, Dan O'Dowd. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. Yeah, Mike, I, I mean, it's an honor to be on your your podcast. It's uh, It makes such a difference uh, in all the people that you touch. So I'm just grateful to have an opportunity to talk to you. You have had an amazing career in baseball. But what's so interesting, you didn't grow up with a baseball family. Your dad no. was a dairy farmer in New he Jersey. Was, talk yeah. to me a little bit Crazy, about talk to me a little bit about what that meant to you growing up and how now you look at your life and how what your dad did and how he worked, how it influences who you are. Yeah, you know, I think for me, Mike, it's been clear in my journey that we're all a byproduct of our life experiences. Mm. Um, those life experiences for all of us start in the relationship that we have, you know, from a nuclear family. And so my mom and dad were workers. Um, my dad, you know, didn't, didn't own the dairy, even though it was called our dad's dairy. Uh, <laughs> he was the kind of the person that was the glue guy. He was the laborer of the, of the family. So he left, left the house every morning at three o'clock, uh, would come home for lunch, be sound asleep by 
seven, eight o'clock at night and did that seven days a week. Uh, mm. Not Sunday. Sunday was church day. Uh, my mom also did a number of odd jobs just to support the family. So it was just my brother and I, 1,500, really a 1,000 square foot house. And they did in addition to add another 500 square feet on it when my uh, grandma moved in with us. My mom, mom's mom lived with us for almost 20 years. So, um, you know, established a foundation of faith, love, a commitment to one another, incredible work ethic. Um, but you know, they, you know, they did not know the game of baseball. So it's just crazy, you know, how God just, you know, at that time, you know, God was a, uh, was real to me only in the sense I was in Catholicism. So, you know, mm. I, the structure and tradition of Catholicism, um, you know, God played a big role in my life. It was more from a discipline standpoint. And so, but it's just amazing how he, you know, his tapestry of life is all interconnected. You just don't realize it as you're going through life. So the minute I stepped on a baseball field, I had some immediate success and that immediate success led to a passion and that passion led to an unconditional love for the game. And, you know, I remember my brother who was the studious one in the family constantly reminding me, you know, like, I don't know what you're going to do with this, Dan, you know, and you really don't <laughs> study like you should. And <laughs> it's just comical, you know, how, again, God lays foundation of life, but again, mom and dad no longer with me, but lived a, lived a life, you know, worthy of, of just being really good parents. You know, it's funny as you're living it out, you don't even know it. You don't even know all the, yeah, what exactly. they instilled in They didn't read a leadership book of what do no, I instill yeah. in my children? They just got up and did it every day. They did, you know, and it's, uh, I think we're kind of that way with parents too. I don't think there's like this manual of raising kids. I, you know, I've got three children. I, you know, I say to people, I've really worked hard to screw up the first two so I can try to get the third one. Right. Um, because, you know, I don't think there's a manual too. And I think you do the best you can do. And I think the thing I took away from my parents is that we didn't have much, but we never wanted for anything. And I didn't know any different at all. And, uh, I think that the understanding is, you know, really what is enough in life and what's important in life and things of that nature were instilled in me at a very, very young age. You find this love for the game of baseball. You go off and you play at Rollins College. Correct, yeah. What did you learn from that college baseball experience? Moving uh, away from home and beginning at a higher level. What what was that like? Yeah, that was, you know, people from New Jersey didn't go away to college back That's right. then. So going to Rollins was an incredible experience only because I met, uh, there were certain transformational people in my life. The first, besides my dad, the first one that I met was a guy named Boyd Coffey. Uh, who is my college baseball coach. And he took a young, immature, you know, out of shape third baseman and turned a boy into a man. Mm. Uh, he established all my work ethic, all my discipline, all my attention to detail. He was a taskmaster, but he was fair. And I loved the man. And uh, I was so blessed to be able to, and I wasn't one of his best players. Heck, I was marginal college player at best. But I became, I realized at an early age at, at Rollins that I was a more of a student of the game than a good mm-hmm. player of the game. And so he helped me always look through the game of a coach, uh, as a game of a coach, as an evaluator, as a roster constructor individual. He took the time to sit with me and explain things to me. And, uh, you know, it's crazy, Mike, because when I got my first opportunity to run a player development scouting system with the Indians, even though I started in Baltimore, Boyd, I convinced to come work for me. And he was my, you know, field coordinator, my hands-on individual in the field, because I knew that he got not just understanding, teaching the game. I knew he, he knew how to turn boys into men. Mm. And ultimately at the end of the day, that's the most important thing you can do when you're developing a a person is, you know, not everybody's going to play in the big leagues, but the person that comes into your organization can leave a better person than the one that came in and Boyd got that completely. I love that. I want to, I want to camp on that for a second because we talked a little bit about college coaches before we went on. If you could speak to a college coach about your experience, you've been in minor league baseball, you've been in major league baseball. Now you're on the, you're on the perspective side through the MLB network of, of baseball. If you could tell a college coach, don't miss this opportunity. Yeah. What would you tell them? Uh, you know, it's pretty simple because uh, I, I would tell them, you know, everything for me is based on personal experience because I chased wins. Um, 
I mean, I chase wins like good players chase the next 90 feet. And, uh, you know, like when you get to the point of winning, when you know it, it's, it's, it's not all can be when you wake up the next day and realize you got to do it all over again. And there's no lasting impact to it at all. Mm. I would tell college coaches that when you're all said and done, what do you want out of this? What is your why of doing this? And I would think what you want out of this is that you've got the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of players that played for you. You're a part of their weddings. Mm. You're a part of the birth of their children. You're a part of the fabric of their life because they want you to be a part of the fabric of your, of their lives because you made a difference in them. You know, I, I used to tell our staff people when I started to have more emotional maturity in my own life that there are two types of leaders in the world that I live. And there were transactional-based leaders and there were transformational-based leaders. That every kid that came to them had blessings and baggage. Mm. And that the, the transactional leaders, which... To me, unfortunately, in today's game, it's certainly what I've seen at the college level, um, they love unconditionally when the player performs for them to provide them what they want to what they think will bring satisfaction and a sense of purpose to them. Mm. And then there's the transformational leaders in life that they get one they truly get the understanding they're going to win more games this way yep. is that, you know what? I'm going to get to know these kids. I'm going to get to know these kids. I'm going to get to know everything about them. And I'm going to love them unconditionally, no matter how they perform on the field. And what's crazy about that, Mike, is that I know from personal experience that when you create a group of men that are playing for something bigger than themselves and feel unconditionally loved, in the process, they then will be better players on That's right. the field. That's right. And your team will be connected to perform better, whether that's a college coach, whether that's a business leader, whether that's a pastor of a church. I mean, it truly does not matter. And that's that's the gift that God gives us when mm. he puts us in a position of impacting lives is we have an opportunity to create that within every player. And then that player goes into a community. He's a better husband. He's a better father. He's a better leader within the community. Whatever he does, he's going to approach it the same way. So then that coach, his, his sphere of influence in his life, when he's all said and done, goes from the hundreds to the thousands. That's right. Of what he's actually in. And it drives me crazy when I see people full of anxiety and fear and approaching this all the wrong way. And I just want to scream because I want to say, I have been there. This, this doesn't work. Yep, that's right. And everything that you're afraid of is going to come to fruition because you're approaching this all the, all the wrong way. And all you have to do is just light your heart on fire for the right reasons. And then all of a sudden your whole culture of your program becomes transformational. Oh, it's such a good word. And, and that's a long answer to a short question. No, but, uh, that is a great answer, though, Coach, because that's where everybody lives. They live that way in high school. They live that way in college. They live that way in business. And if we go deal to deal and month to month, man, it, we just miss the end. I think back to my college days playing for Bobby Richardson. He played on all the New York Yankee teams with Mantle and the whole crew and won all the World Series. We're playing Georgia Tech. I'm having a terrible year. We're in my hometown of Atlanta, and he puts me into pitch against Georgia Tech, my favorite team. And after the game was over, I said, Coach, why did you do that? And this was his response. Mike, it's just a game. It's just yeah, a exactly. game. Nobody else here will remember the game but you, and you'll never forget it. And yeah, that and, is and, just such a perspective. And that's why you love life. playing them. Yeah, and you, you love playing them. And, that, and it what breaks my heart is when the pressure of all that filters down to the kids and then That's it affects good. their families and it just doesn't have to be that way That's you know right. and, I, and i they're just robbing themselves of the distance but mike I, I will tell you satan is real That's right. and uh, i've experienced my own life he 
he creates doubt, he distorts, he discourages, he distracts you from what's important, and he divides. Mm. And, um, I mean, he's a tough hombre. <laughs> and we, you know, we don't put on our armor every single day and ask for protection every single day. The battle is unending, and we are incapable, no matter how strong our faith is, no matter how much we feel the spirit inside of us, we are truly incapable of winning that battle without honestly asking for, you know, Christ help each and every single day. Um, but he does help and That's right. he helps in the most impactful ways, you just, but you got to ask and you got to do it consistently. You know, I, I think about Dan graduates Rollins college and you get into the baseball world. You, you get in and get into a system and you begin to get mentored by some amazing men. I'm going to talk about here in a second. When you entered Major League Baseball through the front office and through all the things you did working your way up the ladder, if I had asked Dan then, what's your why at that point in your journey? What do you think you would have told me? Just to be a GM. Mm. And it wasn't, uh, it was, it was, you know, like I, I, how I talk about it is now I, I use the terms Adam one, Adam two. Um, Adam one, I, if you took Adam one and you took a picture of what Adam, Adam one representative, Dan O'Dad was the poster boy for that. Mm. Um, ambitious, um, driven, uh, intellectually gifted. So I could turn that intellectually gift to control anything and everything in my life. And so I am going to make this happen through the sheer will of hard work and and opportunity that I'll create. <laughs> I mean, wow. You know, my why was like, uh, like an upside down version of what it should have been. And uh, yet, honestly, I, I mean, I was blessed by Hank Peters, who was my mm. mentor, hired me in Baltimore, took me with him to Cleveland, gave me an opportunity at a very young age because he, he saw all those characteristics. And yet he clearly saw all the baggage too. And what he did from a mentoring standpoint, which was so invaluable, instead of sitting down and mentoring me through all that baggage, he just let me get my butt kicked. He just threw me to the wolves and through just mistake after mistake after mistake and not listening well enough, and being the smartest guy in the room and trying to impress people all the time. You know, I just slowly, God worked on me from a humility and pride standpoint, which, you know, pride and ego are the greatest destroyers of, you know, servant leadership that there is in the world. Um, and then he, you know, he just, you know, he kind of just said, figure this out. And I still quite didn't get it. Mm. You know, I, I still felt like whatever adversity I face, I could control the outcome. So I was still way lost in my faith, Mike. I mean, it was, it was clear that I, I call them, I was a half Christian. Mm. So I was a Christian of convenience. Like when it sounded good and when it fit the role, I was a Christian, but when it didn't sound good, it didn't fit the role. I was Dan O'Dowd and I was going to control the situation. And it wasn't until I got to Colorado, you know, I got, I had three opportunities uh, when I left the, uh, Back then it was the Indians, now the Guardians. And, you know, uh, one was Denver and one was Milwaukee and one was in Seattle. I wasn't going to go to Seattle because it was too far away. My wife's mom's health was just okay at the time and she didn't want to go that far away. Milwaukee had been in Cleveland and Midwest City. Ended up, I ended up taking the job in Colorado, which was the most humbling baseball experience I've ever had in my entire life because everything that I thought I knew mm. didn't work there. And, uh, but what happened in Colorado, I met two men hmm. and one was Kelly McGregor and the other one was Clint Hurdle. And, uh, they were transformational in my life and they taught me how to truly be a man for others and that how I looked at life was totally long, but I was not a good student. I mean, I, I, I was a bad student. I was the kid in the back of the room determined to prove my way was right and their way was wrong <laughs> until it became pretty obvious that my way was wrong and their way was right. And slowly uh, God just started to melt away all the, the hardness that existed around me. And I, you know, and through the humility of just honestly, Mike, just getting my butt kicked in my mm -hmm. job day in and day out, realizing I didn't have answers. I didn't know what to do. 
nothing I tried really worked. Um, you know, that I started to realize, you know, there's, I mean, there's something bigger at play in my heart going on here and I got to figure this out. What, what, and, and, and it's so unique. In fact, I talked, told you, I talked to Clint this morning and uh, we were talking about you. What was it about Kelly McGregor's life and Clint Hurdle's life? You, where you were at this point in your journey, were able to pull out a mirror and look and go, they've got something I don't have. What were yeah, two, those two intangibles? Things. Two things. One, they they lived their life with a sense of joy that I lacked mm. because I wanted to, I was Adam one. I thought to win a world series, get to the playoffs, whatever it is that defined me would make me happy. Um, they didn't live their life for that purpose, but you know what? And it gets back to my original comment, you know, when we were talking about coaches in general, they saw the good in me that I could not see in myself. You know, it, it almost brings me to tears, honestly. Um, because without them seeing that, I mean, I don't, I don't know where my life would have gone because mm -hmm. I don't think I was in a really good place. And it just, it just opened me up to a world of saying I wasn't placed here only to try to win, Though I know that's important and I know that has value, but I was put here to make a difference in every person's life that I interacted with. And the only, see, there's two types of relationships. There's relationships that are surface-based and there's are, there are authentic relationships. And those are the relationships where you truly humble yourself and show vulnerability in your own heart to really try to get to know somebody else. And those are the relationships that, that truly make a difference. They did that for me. And my job was to try to do that with every single person that I interacted with. It took me a while to get there, Mike, and I am still a work in progress with that. Without those men in my life, I would have never gotten there. And I know that now I know that I ended up in Colorado, not That's because right. I would go down as one of the base, base baseball executives that ever played the game. I think God put me in, in Colorado to expose all of my weaknesses, mm. completely all of them where I was totally naked and, and that I had a, that I really, I figured out that the most important thing in my life was my ability to have a conversation with him each and every single day. And that the most important part of a decision was the prayer before the decision. And um, that I didn't control really anything in my life other than my relationship with him and how I reacted to the things that I had no control over in my life. What changed about you as a leader? So here you are, you've got incredible years with the Indians, now the Guardians. You've got a, a collegiate playing career. You've got that experience. Now you're a you're a long-term GM of a major league organization, and you meet Christ through these relationships with these men, these cohorts of yours in the Rockies organization. What changed about Dan as a leader, as a man, as a husband after meeting Christ? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll give you some tangible examples uh of that from a business perspective and then i'll get into the personal aspect so mike i would have a meeting and i would come in a meeting and i have an agenda and i would be a dominant personality in the room that would make sure that when i left the room that the the agenda that i had everybody in that room understood it so i'd leave that meeting feeling really good that my message was related mm. When I became more Christ-like, I realized it really didn't matter what my message was. It's more important what they needed to hear. And I think that's the difference. When you try to be a servant leader, it's more important that your empathy and your ability to see things through others' eyes makes you a world-class leader than just seeing things through your own eyes. Mm, mm. and i don't think you can do that with a hardened heart i only think that you can do that is when your heart's on fire for christ with the understanding that the questions to the problem you're trying to solve will come through your process of exploring through the hearts and minds of others not your own mm. that's strong that is strong. From a personal standpoint, I was the guy that justified the 100 hours a week and the 250 days a year travel 
I was the guy that said I was doing this because I was supporting my family. I was providing for my family. And so the tension I brought home, the anger I felt, the disappointment I had in how the team played or how players performed, I hid behind that math for 20 plus years of our marriage. Mm, mm. And my wife took the brunt of that. Mm. And the only reason she hung with me without a shadow of a doubt is because God put her in his heart to hang with this imbecile. Um, because you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to get him. Like I, I'm going to get him to figure this out. But I, I, I feel awful that I didn't wake up sooner to that. And I hid behind what men hide behind, which is like, I'm doing this because, you know, look at the house we live in, look at the trips we can take, look at the car we drive, look at all. I mean, and it was total lies. Uh, it was total fabrication to justify, you know, Adam won, you know, mm-hmm. and it was selfish. I mean, even the decision-making process, my wife loved living in Cleveland, loved the lifestyle of living with the Indians. Um, I didn't even factor that in when I made the decision to pursue my own dreams. And um, I mean, I'm just totally blessed. We've been married now 33 years. I can never thank her enough uh, for the, uh, for the incredible person that she is. She, she raised our kids more than I did. All the good values of our children have been established from her. Um, And uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's just all Christ driven that, uh, she didn't say, you know, I, I had enough of this, you know, um, I mean, it's just amazing that she allowed me to get to this point without forcing me to get to this point, because if she did, I would have been angry about it. And, um, you know, I'm just incredibly blessed and she's a beautiful woman in so many different ways, but, you know, again, I am so humbled that uh, she's my wife, honestly. You know, I, I think about your story and you have, you have this, this young gun moving in, got got a bright future ahead of them things aren't going like you want them to go you're a gm in an organization working for a president who loves jesus you've got a coach who's a christ follower and you had to reach a point with that coach and clinton i had this conversation this morning that you guys had to part ways where his his time with the rockies was up and i asked him this question this is and i want to get your side of the story clint said I said, was that hard? He said, oh, it was hard. But he said, what most people don't know is I sat in Danny's and McGregor's office that afternoon. And we all prayed together that afternoon. What was that experience like for you making, and I'm sure it's one of many, many, many difficult decisions, but now making that decision as a person who's walking with the Lord how did you feel that decision different than you would have before? Uh, you know, it's crazy, um, Mike, is that um, it was a consensus decision. It wasn't left in my, the owner was involved, Kelly was involved. Um, as crazy as this sounds, I was at peace with the decision because I, I felt like it was the right thing for the team and for the organization. And as crazy as this sounds, I also knew in my heart it was the right thing for Clint because I felt like the kind of personality he was, once he took a step back and recognized the things that I presented to him, you know, again, that whole blessing and baggage speech, the opportunity for him to do um, an autopsy on everything that happened with the Rockies that once he took a step back, the steps he would take forward in his next opportunity, because I had no doubt with his personality and his knowledge of the game and his just incredible will, he was going to manage again. I mean, had very little doubt. I knew he could manage in a number of places. He'd be so much better the next time Mm. once he got a chance to get away off the treadmill a little bit. I think the hardest thing for me, Mike, is that I felt so guilty that I wasn't going with him. Mm that I looked at the failure of the team as much as my responsibility as his responsibility. And yet 
And I knew that Carla, his wife, I felt so terrible for her because when you talk about a team and then your husband gets isolated from the team and everybody else stays, mm. the anger and bitterness that, that she must have felt was how to be unreal. And I felt guilty about that even to this day um, that I felt like, but I was afraid at that point in my journey, I was still in my own survival mode um, of what I would do next. I still was still afraid of the future. See, I, I believe that the greatest impediment to people's true happiness is fear. And I think that's Satan at his finest. And what the fear is, is it's fear of the unknown. Yeah. And it's what we put into the unknown or the future is what locks us up in the present. That's right. And yet, you know, as you begin to matriculate and emotionally mature and, and your, your walk becomes stronger, you realize that 90% of the things you're afraid of are never going to happen. And the other 10% that do happen, you have absolutely no control over other than how you react to the 10%. Mm. But I wasn't there back then. I was loaded with fear and insecurity that I wasn't good enough in my role, that if I lost this job, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't know how to take care of my family. Yeah. And that was a huge gap in my faith journey of really believing that God had a plan for me outside of the game of baseball. How did you begin to grow in that? So I want to set in that for a second. How, how did you begin to grow from that? I'm going facing to worry, my fear. just facing the fear. Yeah, I mean, and that's where Kelly stepped in and like point blank told me, I mean, you really can't grow as a man until you start dealing with your own baggage and your baggage is your fear. And until you address your fear, and that only can be done with you and, 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 and Christ, that can't be done with, you can do all the counseling you want, Dan, all that stuff. Eventually it's just mono mono. You gotta, you gotta beg for forgiveness and you, you gotta just ask him to help you. And then he'll chip away at that. And over a period of time, it'll release from you. And I can tell you, Mike, that's exactly what happened. Mm. Cause you leave the Rockies eventually in 2014, you, you declined signing knew, the contract. Yeah, 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 I did. Cause I knew it. I knew I felt in my heart, the organization couldn't move forward unless I moved away. Mm. And that had to be put on my heart by God. Um, I wasn't happy with the transition. I wasn't happy with how it was handled, how quickly it was so humiliating me to Mike. I had worked there 15 years and I'd pack up and leave my office on a Sunday because no one wanted to see me. Um, and like Clint's exodus and, and, uh, you know, was hailed a little bit and I was discarded. Um, and it was painful but I knew that God was continually shaping my character and not getting me to understand none of that's important. Like mm -hmm. none of it is, it's all pride. Mm -hmm. And like, I got a plan for you. And if that's the way people want to handle it, then you hold your head up high and you walk out. So literally my wife and I went in on a Sunday and a good friend of mine, Kevin Kahn, who ran the operations department, just a really good Christian man left me huge dollies in my office. And I loaded 15 years of memories into those dollies and walked them down to the service elevator and loaded them up in my car. And I have not walked back into the Rockies office since. And um, I can tell you that was really, really hard. It's really hard for me to even talk about it to this day. And yet I truly understand that, you know, that's God made me see life in a different way through that journey too. Yeah. Yeah. What did you learn by having to leave that way about depending on the Lord you couldn't have learned another way. That nothing that I do in life from a career standpoint will ever be satisfying other than my relationship with Christ. That's good. And so most leaders, their whole identity and sense of purpose, that when you become so emotionally connected to what you do, it becomes everything that you are. And what Christ was saying to me was, no, that's not even like close to who you are, Dan. Like you're a husband, you're a father, you're a Christian man. You've got gifts that are transformational. I'm going to figure those things out for you. But 
if you go to the next opportunity, you can't treat that. Like there only can be one God in your life. That's right. And I can't be number two in anything that you do again. That's, that's, that is huge. And that's one of those lessons, as they told you earlier, McGregor told you, you can't learn that from a book or a counselor. You only have to learn that when your hands get emptied and you go, I, I, I don't have anything now to depend on other than him. Yeah. And you know what? Honestly, I can say that I wouldn't even ever have gotten to this point. I would still be chasing the same thing over and over and over again thinking that, well, that was just that situation. If I go to a different situation, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be able to, I'll be able to do all this. And I do think that, that men in particular convince themselves of that. That's right. Like Walt Weiss and I had this conversation one day, cause Walt is an unbelievable Christian man, bench coach for the Braves. Yep. And just one of my, my client, one of the dearest friends I have in my life. And we were sitting at dinner one night and, you know, Walt had won a lot in his career as a player. And I said, well, isn't it the darndest thing that you, you spend your whole life believing that winning, like I believe God fills all of us with this gigantic hole in our heart. And so we spend all of our life chasing things to fill that hole. And for people that work in sports in particular, because it's a man-eat-man environment, that winning is the only thing that will fill that hole. And so then you grind and you grind and you grind and you sacrifice and you sacrifice and you sacrifice. And then eventually you're at the pinnacle of success, like going to a world series and you realize, Oh my gosh, that hole is still there. Yep. That's so true. And so eventually you begin to realize that can't be what you're pursuing because it doesn't fill the hole. Mm. But until you recognize that anything that you do from a from a worldly perspective is not going to fill that hole, you're just going to continually chase all the things that you think are going to fill that hole. That's so true. I was just with Walt the other week at a first pitch dinner where his son's playing college. Yep. Uh, up at Reinhardt, Ned Yost, a good friend of mine, was up there to speak, and I had driven up there for Ned, and uh, we all sat together that night. What an incredible gentleman. It's the first time he and I had ever met. Yeah, he is a he oh. is a transformational human being, man. Just a very gifted, incredible man. If you were to ever go back and be a GM again, and and God ever opened that door that you wanted to be open, I have no idea if you'd even want it open. But if you ever did, what would you do different this time around? I would create an organization totally focused on men for others. I mean, I'd build certainly from a worldly perspective the best practices possible. Um, but I have a mantra that anybody that works for us, their job is not only to be the best they can be, but the person they're working next to or the player mm-hmm. they're playing next to, their job is to make them the very best they can be. And that our total focus would be, you know, creating men for others and creating an organization that everybody pulled on the same end of the rope. We'd be data driven, but we'd be human analytically driven even more so. Mm. And, uh, but I don't know if that fits in today's game in any way, shape or form, but I know that fits in my world. Yeah. And you, and, and I think the longer we're in it, I remember something that was told to me years ago when we were starting our church up, uh, a guy, my brother's investment capital world. And he goes, Mike, at the end of the day, we're all in the people business. Yep. And the people that get that are the organizations that thrive the most. And I love, yeah. I love that answer because it's people, it's people centric. You know, and you know, and and what's what people get wrong with that is that everybody thinks that's like touchy feely and soft. No, oh, gosh. But like some of the toughest competitors, like I I mean, like I am a warrior competitor. Like you you put me in a foxhole with somebody and I'm gonna compete. Like I may get shot, but I'm gonna keep competing until yep. somebody really loads up the gun and and totally kills me off. And so you can be all of those things, but you can also be that person that gets it. That's right. You can build that kind of organization where communicate. Listen, when you communicate authentically, you create trust. Mm. When you trust, you create authentic relationships. When you create authentic relationships, you communicate. When you communicate, you trust. And it's this flywheel 
that goes around and around and around. And when you do that really well, you'll win. Your company will turn high levels of profits. Whatever business you're in, you'll be great at. That's, that's the right. thing that's the disconnect for people. They don't realize they could be great in a worldly sense if they really understand their life in a godly sense. It's so good because even in a major league baseball organization, we all think of it as the product on the field. We 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 in Atlanta drive to Truist and we watch the Braves on the field. But what most people who aren't in the baseball world don't understand, it's the guy doing the farm system. It's the coach at single A that is Correct. pouring into that young man. It's the scout yes, that's who gets the value of seeing, and the scout feels valued by their organization. And that, you know, we say it all the Mike, time. The greatest, the greatest sign of spiritual maturity is when you think of others first. And if you do that, and I love what you said, and you get the vantage point now at MLB TV of watching this. Now you are, you are watching across a broad spectrum. What organization have you seen any sports environment or even business that you go that gets as close to what I'm thinking as anybody, any, anybody stand out to you? Well, I mean, the Cardinals for me, from a baseball perspective, I don't know what their faith is or what their journeys are. But the consistency of their reproach with, with people, you know, it's just it's got they've got something something going on there that's bigger than than any one any one individual. And there's a belief that permeates them beyond it. And the fact that they build their teams every year to be competitive in September leads me to the mindset is that well, winning isn't what it's all about. We just want to be competitive every September. And you know, some years we win, some years we we lose. And so I, I've always respected and, it, and admired them. Um, but the game has changed so much, Mike. I don't really know a lot of the people in front offices now and teams mm -hmm. like I like I once did and really understand where their hearts are at as, as they approach their, their journeys of it. I will say that my former team, um, the Guardians now, I think Chris Iannetta, I mean, Chris Antonetti, is one of the most transformational leaders in today's game. Wow. Um, I don't know Chris's faith journey, but I know how he lives his life would lead me to believe it's strong. Wow. That's power. That's a powerful statement there. I love back in 2016, you took a lot of your baseball experiences and you combined efforts with your son and you guys began a company. Tell everybody a little bit about this is fast. I had, I've always heard of this, I didn't know you were behind it, so I'll start doing research yeah, for this interview. Yeah. Talk about it a little bit. Yeah, Chris and I are the, are the co-founders of the company. It's called Win Reality. Win stands for an acronym of what we use in development, with what's important now. Um, and we like the catchphrase of winner. So we would, uh, the, uh, I think when you work in industry, Mike, like anybody that works in the industry, they see problems that aren't being solved. Yep in an industry with the current technology available within the industry. Because I think great technology companies historically in our country or even in the world, what they do is solve problems. Technology that has staying power are the ones that truly just, you know, solve problems. The, the problem that I always felt from a development standpoint in our game is that hitters could not practice facing live pitching at game speed other than the game itself. That's right. That pitching machines, as capable as they are, can't replicate balance, rhythm, and timing. Um, hiring edge pitchers can't replicate the speed of the game. And so we went down a path through the world of virtual reality of trying to create a, pro a product um, where we could emulate uh, that actual experience of a hitter facing a pitcher. Our original focus was primarily on uh, pitch recognition, mm. because from my experience and Chris's experience, Chris played six years of minor league baseball all the way up to AAA for a variety of different organizations. So he had really, you know, experience from a ground level up and I had it from an up level down is like the first five feet out of the hand determines everything. And so what we really want to do is create a, a very simple product for users from the age of, of eight all the way up to big league players that could simulate 
pitch recognition skills and timing of when to get your swing off. And so we started, it was three people. Once Chris got released by the White Sox, he jumped in full time. It was Chris and I, two developers in a little uh, office space here in Austin, Texas. And the only reason we started in Austin because we couldn't afford the developer prices in San Francisco and Austin has started to bloom a little bit as a tech community. And just like any other success story, you know, one thing led to another. We were, we had a good round of family and friends raise of money. I funded the company originally until I couldn't fund the company anymore. We raised more money. Our product started to get a little better and a little better. And uh, then we were fortunate to do a series A round from a great partner called Spectrum Equ uh, Equity. If you think of Ancestry.com, yep. that's the people that invested in them. They put a significant amount of capital on us. Now we have 75 employees. We have over 100,000 users from the age of 8 to 18. Most of our users are 10 years old to 14 years old. And um, our, constant, our product is constantly evolving and getting better. And now you can hit in our system. That will continue to get better. So basically, you can hit anywhere at any time, and you can face live pitching per age group. So whatever age you're at, you can face pitchers that are the equivalent of the pitchers you would face in your individual age group. And I say this all the time. It doesn't replace what happens in the game. Right. Because we can't create that emotional pressure. We're the next closest thing uh, that you can do. We don't replace the, the interactions you have with coaches. We just help kids get better at the hardest thing there is to do to play the game of baseball, which is to hit. That is so right. And, you know, as a pitcher, nobody ever had a hard time hitting off me. But I know for other people, hitting is tough. And I, I remember hearing Don Sutton say one time, hitting is timing and pitching is destroying timing. And when you can Correct. get that, well, yeah, and when you're able to visually see that, well, I mean, in my high school that yeah, I'm working with, I we mean, talked we about have, a little bit. And our price, our, our product is priced so affordably. Now, we don't sell the headset. We're not a hardware company. Yep. Um, so that's, you know, the one part of it that uh, is expensive, but our product isn't. And, um, you know, with the data we've collected now, if, if, if young men utilize the product like anything else consistently, 15, 20 minutes, three, four times a week, the improvements, the improvements we've seen in the players that have been committed to it have been enormous. We don't teach, we're not swing doctors. Yep. We don't teach bat path. We don't get into all of that stuff. We, we are, we are, this is a baseball product created by baseball men. It's very simple to use that just focuses on, we think, we think from years of experience, the most crucial aspect of being a, the best hitter you can possibly be. Mm. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. You know what? The joy of more than that is that the joy of doing this with my son. I mean, how as a parent, fun, how yeah, fun. Well, I think the, I think the thing you want as a parent is that you just want them to be passionate in love with what they do so they can flourish however they want to. That's right. And this is truly Chris's company, not his dad's company. I am a, I'm the chairman. I'm really just an advisor. I'm really the 30,000 foot view guy. I am so ill-equipped to run this company in a, in this day and age, but he's not, he's 32 years old. That's right. He went to Dartmouth. He graduated in three years. He is brilliant, uh, but he's got, humility galore because the game of baseball taught him that <laughs> and well uh, he is a transformational leader and i am so proud of him and i just love the fact he's having so much joy our daughter lexi it runs our social media platform in it That's amazing and she's wonderful at that and she's great at it and it's just i'm just so happy to see my kids doing something that they love in a company that now we own which is just incredible yep you're watching your kids Getting to do things is fun. Watching your kids do them, mine are 28 and 25, watching them do it's better. And it's mo even more enjoyable. Yeah, and now I know why God told me to leave the Rockies. Mm. I would have never done this. This would have never happened if I had stayed, stayed there. So I know now, I couldn't understand why it was such a strong pull in my heart other than, Dan, you need to do the right thing and for the organization now. You need to move away. Your political capital has expired. And someone else needs to have an opportunity and take a shot at doing this. I didn't understand all that, yep. but this would have never happened if that didn't take place. It's amazing. Yeah, it you is know, crazy, Mike. It is. You know, final question today. 
you know, the scripture says that David lived his purpose, served his purpose in his generation, and then he fell asleep. He was done. What do you believe is the ultimate purpose God created Dan O'Dowd for? He raised him in New Jersey. He gave him amazing life experiences, so many places. But what was the hardwiring purpose you think he put in you? Maybe nobody else could do like you could do it. Well, I, I feel strongly, Mike, our souls are not, you know, they're not hungry for fame, comfort, wealth, or power. Um, you know, I think they're created for meaning. And I think, I think finding meaning is a lifelong journey. I don't know if I can truly answer that question, say I've found that yet. But I know when I'm most alive is when I'm making a difference in someone else's life. What a powerful episode. You know what I love so much? I've followed Dan for years from his front office work now to his work as an analyst on the MLB Network. He's so well thought of across the baseball landscape. But the heart behind who he is is what makes him so special. And he's a guy I remember getting off the call the day that we had our interview and I felt like I had known him for years. Now, number one, the baseball circle is really small. And here we are, we're right in the playoffs, uh, watching all that's happening. That baseball world is not big at all. It's very small. But when you meet a Christ follower in the baseball world, it gets even smaller. Thank you, Dan, for sharing your story, for sharing your journey. You are a special, special leader. Well, we continue on the baseball front here with the October fun of the playoffs. And our next episode, I get to introduce you to Ted Barrett. Ted, 34 years, Major League umpire, more championship games, playoff games, World Series games than any umpire in history. But you're talking about somebody who leads with their faith out in front and led with their faith out in front. Ted Barrett, or as he's known in the baseball world, Teddy, is one of a kind, and you're really going to enjoy it. So that's our next episode. Thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend. Leave a rating and review. And I don't know where you're listening from today, but let's go love God, let's love people, and let's live sin. See you next time on Lynch with a Leader. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.